0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Colorado Springs, Colorado. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. On January 27, 2020, a woman named Letitia Stalk reported her 11-year-old stepson Gannon missing after he didn't come home from hanging out at a friend's house. Initially, investigators didn't have any reason to doubt Leticia's story and treated Gannon's disappearance as a runaway. But as time went on and the evidence piled up, it became clear that Gannon didn't run away at all. He had actually been the victim of a brutal murder, and they believed it was at the hands of the very woman who had reported him missing. The only problem was, they didn't know where his body was. Investigators started following Letitia's every move in hopes of finding Gannon's body, but no matter how many times they searched areas Letitia was known to have gone, they couldn't find him anywhere. Letitia could feel authorities closing in on her, so she fled the state, and this seems frustrating and it is, but at that point, law enforcement couldn't force her to stay. She hadn't been charged with anything at that point. Investigators continued the search for Gannon while simultaneously building their case against Letitia. By March 2nd, they still hadn't found Gannon's body, but they did have enough evidence to charge her with first-degree murder. They tracked her down to South Carolina and took her into custody. On March 18th, more than two weeks after Letitia's arrest, the body of 11-year-old Gannon Stauk was found. But not in Colorado and not even in South Carolina. His body was found in a suitcase under a bridge in Florida. An autopsy confirmed to investigators that Gannon had, without any doubt, been murdered, and those first-degree murder charges against Letitia weren't going anywhere. Letitia has pled not guilty by reason of insanity. After years and years of delays, her trial has finally begun and jury selection started back on March 20th with opening arguments scheduled to begin a week from today on April 3rd. But with her trial looming after all of this time and so many requests to cover Gannon's case, I wanted to give you guys an episode where I break down all the evidence authorities have against Letitia and spoiler alert, it is a lot. Let's start all the way back in September of 2008, when Gannon Stalk was born. Gannon was born in Horry County, South Carolina, and was this adorable, happy, and smiling kid that his parents could not get enough of. Fast forward to three years later, and Gannon gained a little sister, little baby Olivia. Not long after Olivia's birth, things started to fall apart between Gannon's parents, who wound up separating. In time, Gannon's father, Al, started dating a woman named Letitia, and the two got married in January of 2015. While Letitia became the wicked stepmother of the East to six-year-old Gannon and three-year-old Olivia, Al became a solid stepfather to Letitia's 12-year-old daughter who we'll call Holly. Al and Letitia never had any biological children together. At the end of 2018, the Stout family moved to Colorado Springs, Colorado and settled in a cute little four-bedroom house. It was your typical suburban home in a neighborhood that would rival Pleasantville. The houses were brightly colored, big, stacked in neat little rows with sidewalks for as many leisurely strolls as your suburban heart can handle. It's the perfect place to raise a family, and I mean it with every ounce of my being, that this is the last place you would ever expect anything bad to happen. By the time January of 2020 rolled around, Letitia and Al had officially been married for five years, and while that might seem like a milestone, things did not seem to be going well. According to an arrest affidavit, Letitia had been making Google searches for things like, "'Husband uses me to babysit his kids. "'Are there any free money to move away from bad situation? "'Sent my husband sexual messages and he ignores them. "'Make my husband want me more.'" find a new husband, and find a guy without kids. It doesn't take a rocket surgeon to deduce that Letitia wasn't happy about the amount of time she spent taking care of Al's two kids, and that level of unhappiness escalated by the end of that month when Al had to go out of town for military training. On Saturday, January 25th, Al spent the night in Denver with plans to fly to Oklahoma the following day for training. He was in the National Guard, and it's unclear how long he was supposed to be gone for, but generally it varies between three days and 14 days. While Al was preparing to do all the military things, Letitia partook in her favorite pastime, thumbing around on Google. She searched things like, Find real military singles. I'm overdoing all the work for my stepkids, and their mom doesn't help. I wonder if my husband's ex-wife is sending me a Valentine's card since I raise her kids. One day, some people will wish they treated you differently. And find me a rich guy who wants me to take care of his kids. So let's analyze this for a second. First of all, she treats Google like it's a diary and not a search engine. And second, she clearly has no problem watching someone's kids so long as they're rich. But she really must like the military aspect because she wants some military singles in her life. But let's go on. The following day, March 26th, Al flew to Oklahoma and Letitia spent, you guessed it, more time on Google, looking up things like, It's crappy some parents don't care for their kids or buy them presents, and parents are those who put kids before their nails. That night, Letitia texted Al and told him that Gannon had had a stomach ache for most of the evening. Just after midnight, on what was now Monday, January 27th, Letitia headed back to Google, but this time, instead of petty baby mama memes and military singles, her searches seemed to be about an accidental fire. She typed in, My son burned the carpet. How do I fix it? Smoke from fire effects. Will humidifier help? After that, she started looking up things like, Son is sick, but I have to go to work. And, Son's sick. Can he stay home? An arrest affidavit reports that at 4.37 a.m., Letitia texted her boss and gave the most ridiculous excuse as to why she wouldn't be at work that day. Instead of telling them that her stepson had a stomach ache or that she was tending to a fire that only Google was privy to, she told her boss that her stepdad had been killed after getting hit by a car. At some point that morning, Letitia called Gannon's school to report him absent. The school marked the absence as excused, and Letitia let Al know that Gannon was staying home sick for the day. The other kids went about their Monday as normal, 8-year-old Olivia went to her school, and 17-year-old Holly went to work at Massage Envy. At 8.13 a.m., Letitia took a photo of Gannon sleeping in his bed next to his Nintendo Switch and sent that picture to Al. Two hours later, at 10.16 a.m., a a neighbor's surveillance footage shows what appears to be Letitia and Gannon getting into Al's Nissan Frontier and leaving the house. That particular neighbor lives several houses away from the Stouks, so the video isn't exactly the clearest, but it was something. At 10.37 a.m., a a text from Gannon's phone was sent to Holly's, Letitia's 17-year-old daughter, and it read, Tisha left her phone at home. If you need her, text me. At 11.22 a.m., Letitia made a purchase at Petco, which was about a 30-minute drive from the Stauk home. Gannon wasn't seen on any of the surveillance footage from the store. More than likely, he waited in the car. For the next two hours, Letitia and Gannon's whereabouts are unknown. But at exactly 1.22 p.m., Letitia was seen back at the same Petco making another purchase. Gannon was again not seen on any of the footage. Roughly 20 minutes later, someone conducted an internet search on Gannon's phone. It was for, can my parent find my cell phone, period, if it's off. According to an arrest affidavit, because the person using the phone used a period instead of a space, it's believed that the search was not made by Gannon. They believe it was Letitia using Gannon's phone because she had an obnoxious habit of using periods instead of spaces. In fact, she did that in 44% of her searches. After Letitia searched for, can my parent find my cell phone, period, if it's off, she learned that the answer depends on what method is being used to track the phone. Find My iPhone, Life 360, and other similar tracking programs have different features, though from everything I've found, it seems like it comes down to only being able to determine the last location of the phone before it was turned off. Side note, after Gannon was reported missing, his phone was actually found at the house, which led investigators to believe that based on the Google searches, Letitia didn't feel safe enough to get rid of his phone. Letitia and Gannon returned home at 2.19 p.m., In that neighbor's faraway surveillance footage, it looked like only Letitia exited the Nissan Frontier because the video isn't clear enough to know for sure. It was a huge debate when the case was happening in real time. However, according to the arrest affidavit, investigators do believe that Gannon returned home with Letitia at that time. What happened after they got home and went inside is somewhat a mystery. Investigators know two things for a fact. One, Leticia did not unlock her phone until 2.45. That's 26 minutes after she got home. The second thing they know is that the family's security system showed motion activity in both the upstairs and downstairs during those 26 minutes. According to an arrest affidavit, investigators believe that Gannon was killed during that 26-minute time frame. At around 3.15 p.m., 30 minutes after Letitia unlocked her phone, eight-year-old Olivia got home from school. Letitia told her that Gannon was asleep and she couldn't see him. Letitia then told Olivia to go outside and play. Investigators believe Letitia wanted some time to clean up the murder scene and also having an eight-year-old witness would not be good for her plan. At 3.55, Al shot Gannon a text that said, Hey, buddy but Gannon never opened the text, nor did he respond. About an hour later, Letitia's daughter Holly got home from work, picked up Olivia, and left the house. Shortly after leaving, Letitia texted Holly and asked her to pick up the red flag trio. Trash bags, vinegar, and baking soda. Holly did what her mom asked and brought the cleaning supplies home. Over the next few hours, there was a major increase in activity on the Stoux home security system. Much of that activity was focused on the basement, which is where Gannon's room was. Investigators believe Letitia was cleaning up the crime scene during that time. At 6.55 p.m., after a long day of pretending Gannon was homesick, Letitia called 911 and reported that her 11-year-old stepson had possibly run away. She said he'd gone to a friend's house and was supposed to be back home at 6 p.m., but he never came back. Letitia said she'd the friend's house and Gannon wasn't there, so police dispatch said they'd send over an officer. When Letitia told Al that his son was missing, he booked the first flight available home, which thankfully was for the following morning. At 10.09 p.m., just over three hours after Letitia called 911, an officer showed up to the Stout residence. He apparently had a busy night, which was why it took so long to show up, and I have feelings about that, but that's not why we're here. The officer asked for consent to search the house, and Letitia let him have at it. The officer used his flashlight to look around and didn't see any blood or immediate evidence that something violent had happened in the house, but he also didn't find Gannon. When the officer looked in the garage, he saw that Letitia's Volkswagen Tiguan was backed in, so he opened the door to the vehicle and saw a suitcase inside, but that was it. The officer did not open the suitcase and moved on with his search. If he had opened the suitcase, he likely would have found Gannon's body. After determining there was no sign of Gannon, the officer took a report from Letitia. According to an arrest affidavit, her story was that she last saw Gannon when he left the house to play with his friends at around 3.15. When he didn't come home around 6, Letitia went to the neighbor's house to look for Gannon, but he wasn't there. She said she also sent her 17-year-old daughter, Holly, to look for Gannon at the park, but she didn't find him there either. When the officer asked where Gannon's friend's house was, Letitia won the Worst Liar Award because even though she said she had gone down there to check on him, she was unable to give the actual location. She also didn't know the name of his friends or the names of the parents of his friends. Ironic that none of her Google searches included, I complain about having to watch my stepchildren, but in reality, I know jack shit about what they do. When asked if anything was missing, Letitia said his phone was at the house, but his Nintendo Switch was gone. Once the officer was done taking the report, a missing persons investigation began and multiple agencies were brought in to help. The media was told that Gannon was most likely a runaway and authorities asked the public to help find him. By the morning of January 28th, several search parties had come together to look for Gannon, and searchers included volunteers, law enforcement, firefighters, and even members of the National Guard. They used drones, planes, ATVs, horses, and even underwater sonar to look for Gannon, but they didn't find any trace of him anywhere. An arrest affidavit reports that at 8.30 a.m. that morning, Leticia drove her Tiguan to the Colorado Springs Airport and parked in the short-term parking lot. She left the Tiguan there, then went to the rental car area and rented a 2019 Kia Rio. Investigators believe Gannon's body was still inside the Tiguan at that time, and Letitia didn't want Al or the police to find it. So the airport's short-term parking is where she decided to stash the car away for a day. 20 minutes after ditching her car for a rental, Letitia picked up Al from the airport, and the two drove back to their home in the rented Kia. Al asked Letitia why she had rented a car, and she said she didn't want to put extra miles on her Tiguan, which was a lease. The whole ass last thing that would be on anyone's mind when their child is missing. When Al asked where the Tiguan was, she lied and said it was parked near an elementary school. Which is such a dumb lie. If you're driving a rental, why in the fuck would you park it near a school? Would you do walk to the rental place? Once the Stalks got home, investigators spoke with Al, who was fully cooperative. The Stalks' home was then searched again, with Al's permission this time. According to an arrest affidavit, in the dishwasher, which had recently been run through a cycle, investigators found multiple carpet brushes with suspected carpet fibers in them. They believed the brushes had been used to clean up evidence. Investigators found a receipt for the cleaning items Holly purchased the day before and noted in an affidavit that vinegar and baking soda are known to help treat blood stains. A 9mm Smith & Wesson handgun was found on the top of a tall dresser in Alan Letitia's bedroom. The gun was sent off for testing, which would result in numerous DNA profiles, the main one being Letitia's. With a much more thorough search done, crime scene technicians were brought in to process the home. So let's start with what they found in Gannon's room. When technicians moved Gannon's bed, they sprayed luminol and found blood spatter on the walls. There were more than 50 droplets, and it was obvious an attempt had been made to clean the walls. A bloodstain pattern analyst found that the bloodstains on the walls were consistent with one or more blood spatter-producing events, which could include gunshot, blunt force, or stabbing. The analysts did not believe the bloodstains were aspirated blood due to the lack of air bubbles in the stains. When technicians removed the sheet on Gannon's bed, they were horrified. There had been enough blood loss to stain his mattress, soak through to the carpet, the carpet pad, and onto the concrete below the bed. The stains on the mattress correlated to where Gannon's head and torso would have been when laying in bed. Even though they had this mountain of blood evidence pointing to foul play, investigators didn't mention it to Al, Letitia, or the media. Instead, they compared the photo of Ganon that Letitia sent to Al on the morning of the 27th, and in that photo, Ganon was asleep in bed next to his Nintendo Switch. However, investigators quickly pointed out that in that photo, Ganon's bed had different sheets, blankets, pillowcase, and an entirely different pillow than the ones currently on his bed. When the investigators searched the house, they didn't find any of the bedding from the photo. And I tried to find a way to sum all of that up neatly, but basically Letitia is fucked. The blood-soaked mattress had pristine bedding on it, and the bedding that was on it just a day earlier had poofed into non-existence. She was either guilty or there was a magician on the loose. According to an arrest affidavit, technicians continued searching the house with Luminol, and they found a trail that told one hell of a tale. There was blood in the hallway outside of Gannon's room leading to the utility room, which was right next to his. They found blood in the utility room itself and on the staircase leading upstairs from that utility room. On the landing at the top of the stairs, they also found blood. From the landing, there was a pathway to the garage where blood was also found. Along with that, they found blood on the garage floor under where the Tiguan had been parked the day before. Based on the trail of blood, it appeared that Letitia had killed Gannon in his bed, put his body inside a suitcase, then dragged the suitcase out of the bedroom into the utility room, up the stairs, into the garage, and finally into Letitia's Tiguan. No one could search the Tiguan because it wasn't at the house. However, the Frontier Letitia had been driving on the 27th was searched, but no blood was found. While investigators were searching the house and the Frontier, Letitia was back on Google. At 12.57pm, she looked up, Can Nintendo find my Switch? Unfortunately, they cannot. According to an arrest affidavit, investigators believe that after making that search, Letitia got rid of the switch, then tried to convince investigators that the missing switch meant Gannon had run away, that he loved his switch and definitely would have taken it with him if he had run away. Letitia undoubtedly wanted investigators to treat Gannon as a missing person for as long as possible, completely unaware that law enforcement already knew that she was a lying son of a bitch. At around 4 p.m., investigators asked Letitia for Gannon's toothbrush to get a sample of his DNA. Minutes later, Letitia was confiding in her best friend Google, searching, they are asking for our son's toothbrush, but said nothing is wrong. That roughly translates to, oh shit, I think they know. At around 4.30 p.m., Letitia texted Al saying, something isn't right, I think they are hiding something. Al asked her, who, the police? Letitia responded with, yes, they asked for toothbrushes. Al said, hmm, what do you think they're hiding? It's at this point in the investigation that Letitia started getting evasive with detectives. She avoided speaking to them one-on-one and was, quote-unquote, difficult at best to track down. Investigators could only reach her via the phone and would say that she didn't want anyone going to her home. At this point, investigators were onto Letitia and had their obvious suspicions that she may have killed Gannon, but they played it cool and they didn't let her know that they were onto her. At 7 p.m. that evening, the 28th, Letitia went to pick up her Tiguan, which was still parked at the airport. Before leaving the parking lot, she disconnected her phone from the cellular network by putting it in airplane mode. She literally put her phone in airplane mode while leaving the airport. Nothing suspicious going on, nothing at all. She was acting completely normal, and the last sentence was a lie. Unfortunately for Letitia, and fortunately for everyone else, she was an absolute moron. According to an arrest affidavit, GPS records from the Tiguan picked up her phone slack. The car showed that Letitia drove around for more than two hours before she decided to stop in the rural area of Highway 105 and South Perry Park Road, which is about an hour north of the airport. Letitia stayed in that area for around 15 minutes. Even though Gannon was found in Florida, investigators do believe she hid Gannon's body during that time, and we'll get deeper into that as this episode goes on. At around 9.45 p.m., Letitia got back on the road again. She stopped in an area near the shops at Briargate and connected to a Wi-Fi network. She then started communicating with her 17-year-old daughter, Holly, who was at home. According to an arrest affidavit, Letitia also texted an investigator who was working on Gannon's case. At that point, she thought she was a suspect even though no one had told her she was. She texted the investigator, What do you want from me? Because I have nothing. One of your very own leaked on me what you guys were doing. I did nothing and slash or am being set up. I not really even sure other that being told that by another blue with El Paso. I was told I couldn't go home to sleep. And on top of that, men were sent to a home with a minor female and she was forced to stay there, not to even leave for food. Every conversation that said, even at this moment, I can hear inside. What do you want from me? And no, I have absolutely no idea what any of that said. It makes absolutely no sense. And recording that was like trying to read a bowl of alphabet soup that had been dropped on the floor. The investigator responded, come in to talk to me. I would just like information to find Gannon. He asked Letitia to come into the station the following morning. And in whatever blubbering stupor she was in, she agreed to meet with him at 10 a.m. After texting the investigator, Leticia drove to the Massage Envy where Holly worked. She then texted Holly, who was still at home, and asked her to come pick her up. Holly left the house and drove to the Massage Envy, picked her mom up, and they left the Tiguan in the parking lot overnight. They got back to the Stauk home just before 1.30 a.m. At around 9 a.m. the following morning, which was now January 29th, Letitia returned the Kia to the rental place. Holly then picked Letitia up and drove her to the Tiguan, which was still at the Massage Envy. Letitia was supposed to meet with investigators at their agreed time of 10 a.m., but instead of heading straight there, she took the Tiguan to a car wash. If you're late to a police interview because you're getting your car washed, there's a solid chance you've committed a crime. She didn't get to the station until around noon, so let's make that a two-hour car wash. According to an arrest affidavit, she showed up driving the Tiguan, which was still wet. Investigators took Leticia inside for questioning and seized that freshly cleaned car, which we'll come back to in a minute. When investigators started interviewing Leticia, it got real weird, real fast. The girl brought along several pieces of notebook paper filled with handwritten notes. During the interview, Letitia asked investigators if she could just read from her notes. She didn't want to answer questions without looking at the notes. Car wash before police interview, suspicious. Wanting to read your notes during said interview, laughably suspicious. But go on. Investigators allowed it, and she would frequently refer back to her notes when she was asked a question. Unfortunately, investigators were never able to seize those documents. The story Letitia told investigators during that interview was completely different than the one she told when she reported Gannon missing. This one involved kidnapping, rape, and an intruder. Letitia's new story was that a man named Eguardo had raped her, then took off with Gannon. Letitia said she met Eduardo the day before. She explained that Gannon had knocked over a candle on the 26th, causing the carpet to burn. After that incident, she drove around the neighborhood where residential construction was taking place. While doing this, she met Eduardo, who was working on a house. Letitia described Eduardo as being a Hispanic male with brown hair and brown eyes, but that's all she could say. She couldn't provide any specific identifying information about the man. Letitia told investigators that after she met Eduardo, she asked if he would repair the carpet in her home, because that's how construction works. You just go up to someone working on a house, ask for someone to fix a carpet, and boom, you have a deal. Letitia said he agreed, so she gave him her garage code. Dude, even in her imagination, she's an idiot. Nonetheless, she says they agreed he would repair the carpet while she was shopping the next day. Leticia said she got home at around 2.30 p.m. on January 27th. She disarmed the security system, then went into the basement. Once she was downstairs, she realized Eduardo was there and said he attacked her and pointed a gun at her. After Eguardo held her at gunpoint, He allowed her to go upstairs to meet her stepdaughter Olivia, who had just gotten back from school. Letitia sent Olivia outside to ride her bike, then went back down to the basement where she claimed Eduardo raped her. She said that happened between 3.30 and 4.30 p.m. Letitia said that during that time, she believed she may have hit her head and blacked out, but investigators noted a total of zero injuries to Letitia's head. Letitia told investigators that during the rape, Gannon jumped on Eguardo's back, and Eguardo then threw Gannon off of his back and across the room. After Eguardo was done raping Letitia, she says he held the gun to Gannon and demanded a suitcase. Letitia provided him with a brown suitcase and a cardboard box. Eguardo attempted to sexually assault her another time, but she says he hit her on the head and blacked out. When Letitia woke up, Eduardo and Gannon were gone. Letitia cleaned up the area where the attack had happened. She straightened up Gannon's room and cleaned up the utility room before calling the police. I think it goes without saying that investigators believed none of the words coming out of Letitia's mouth. The investigator who wrote the arrest affidavit wrote, I submit that Letitia did in fact clean something up, but it was the murder scene of Gannon, not a sexual assault. And all the mics dropped. Towards the end of the interview, Letitia said she wanted to leave, but investigators were not about that life. She might have showed up on her own accord, but she was gonna stay. They seized her phone and detained her while they applied for a search warrant to get a sample of her DNA. Naturally, Letitia started stuffing tissues in her pants and said she was having chest pain and shortness of breath. Investigators immediately requested medical assistance and paramedics arrived. According to an arrest affidavit, while they were still at the station, Letitia gave appropriate responses to the paramedics' questions, but on the way to the hospital, with investigators riding in the ambulance with her because she wasn't going to get away that easily, she was unresponsive to questions by medical personnel. When they got to the hospital, she seemed to make a miraculous recovery, which is easy to do when you're fine. Letitia was examined and found to be completely okay. Since she had claimed to have been raped, she was offered the chance to undergo a rape kit, which she declined. Unable to evade law enforcement in the confines of a hospital room because she really didn't think that one through, Detectives continued questioning Letitia, and she kept trying to dodge the questions. They eventually told her they were going to detain her while they waited for the DNA warrant to clear, but unfortunately, investigators did not physically detain Letitia, which would soon prove to be a huge mistake. The warrant was signed, and investigators obtained Letitia's DNA samples. However, since she wasn't physically detained, Letitia signed herself out of the hospital before all of her tests were complete. She didn't tell investigators she was leaving and was picked up by an unknown person who drove her to meet Holly several miles away. Letitia then had her aunt rent a 2020 Nissan Altima for her to drive. When investigators found out about this, they obtained a warrant to install a GPS tracker on the car, and with that in place, they would follow her every move. Although detectives didn't believe Leticia's story about Eduardo, investigators did take the necessary steps to corroborate her statements before dismissing them as lies. They reviewed video footage from the faraway neighbor's security camera and never saw Hispanic male entering the house. Furthermore, phone records showed Leticia was on her phone during the time she was allegedly raped. She made an outgoing call and texted eight times. This proved to investigators once and for all that Letitia was lying and they could continue investigating her for Gannon's suspected murder. On January 30th, the day after Letitia left the hospital without permission, Gannon's case was upgraded from a runaway to missing slash endangered. Investigators told the public that they changed the classification due to the time he had been gone, his age, and his reliance on medication. They left out their suspicions about Letitia and the blood found in the home. The following day, January 31st, Letitia came out of hiding and spoke to KKTV, addressing online comments that were accusing her of having something to do with Gannon's disappearance. She said, "'I took care of Gannon for the last two years in our home. I would never, never, ever hurt this child.'" And I know there are some questions out there. That's up to the investigators when they end up letting you guys know. But I've cooperated with them. We are going to find Gannon, and that's the main goal that we all have. I'm just ready for Gannon to come home. There was no current evidence that her pants were on fire, but she was indeed a liar. She knew more than anyone on this planet that Gannon was never coming home. That evening, an arrest affidavit states that Letitia drove the rented Altima back to the area of Highway 105 and South Perry Park Road. Investigators believe it's there that she picked up Gannon's body. Letitia then went to a budget rental, rented a van, and also purchased a phone at a Walmart. Let's break this down. A Google search history for the record books, a handful of rental vehicles, a car wash, and a new phone. The she-done-it meter is absolutely screaming at this point. The following day, February 1st, Letitia and Holly left Colorado in the budget van. Gannon's body was with them. It's unclear when investigators found out Letitia had fled the state, but she and Holly would eventually make their way to South Carolina. That same day, investigators went over Latisha's seized Tiguan with luminol. They found traces of blood on the rear of the vehicle, rear passenger seat, front passenger seat, and an area near the glove box. Investigators also seized and searched the Kia Letitia had rented on the 28th. This search didn't yield any evidence as the car had been cleaned and re-rented. There wasn't any GPS data either, but the rental company told them that Letitia had only driven the car 71 miles during her rental period, so it didn't seem like she had done much with the Kia at all. Investigators did, however, have GPS data from the Tiguan and the Altima. They reviewed the data and found that Letitia had gone to the area of Highway 105 and South Perry Park Road in both vehicles. So, of course, they decided to search there. During the search, which ended up lasting for days, investigators did not find Gannon's body. However, they did find a piece of particle board with a stain which appeared to be blood. The stain was tested and came back as a match to Gannon. Investigators theorized that Letitia used the board while moving Gannon's body. It seems like at that point in the investigation, they realized he probably wasn't in Colorado anymore. On February 13th, Letitia and Al spoke on the phone. According to an arrest affidavit, during that conversation, Letitia brought up the blood on Gannon's bedroom wall. She explained that prior to Gannon's disappearance, he was burned by a candle, which caused his skin to bubble. He then peeled the burns off and wiped the blood on the wall. Not only is this the dumbest story I've ever heard, she is also the dumbest. You see, Allen investigators had never mentioned finding the blood to Letitia, and the blood hadn't been reported in the media. So the only person who would have known about it was Gannon's suspected killer. The following day, Letitia and Al spoke again. This time, she told him not one, not two, but four different stories about what happened on January 27th. The first story was that when officers came to the house, the abductor was still there. She tried to signal to officers that there was somebody in the house, but they didn't listen. The second story was that Letitia was raped at the home by a guy named Quincy Brown. Quincy Brown then abducted Gannon and Letitia said she knew Quincy's identity because she saw his identification card fall out of his pocket while he was in the house. Letitia said that she later saw his picture in the paper and texted that picture to Al. Investigators looked into Quincy and found that just a few days prior, Quincy had been listed on El Paso County's Most Wanted list. He had a previous criminal history of kidnapping and was wanted for outstanding warrants for failure to register as a sex offender, and more. The photo Letitia texted Al was the photo of Quincy from the Most Wanted list. So yeah, it sounds like she saw Quincy in the news and thought she could blame everything on him. The third story Letitia told Al was that Quincy Brown had followed her home from Petco. At some point, he was lying in the middle of the road in front of her car, and when Letitia stopped to avoid running Quincy over, he jumped into the car and made her take him home. Once they were at the house, she says that he raped her. Now, the fourth and final story was that Letitia and Gannon were near County Line Road and Highway 105 on January 27th. Gannon was riding a bicycle in the area and fell off, hit his head, and then was abducted by Quincy Brown. In this version of events, Quincy Brown was driven by a man named Terrence. What investigators were really interested to hear about was that Letitia mentioned Highway 105 to Al at al. They believed that she read in the news that investigators were searching that area for Gannon. She likely knew that investigators had found out she'd been there a few times, so she wanted to explain it all away. The following day, on February 15th, Letitia spoke to Al again. According to an arrest affidavit, she said the story about Gannon falling off his bike near Highway 105 was a lie. So she's officially admitted to one lie. She said she only told the story because she thought it was what Al wanted to hear. But on what fucking planet would a father want to hear that his missing son had actually fallen off his bike, hit his head, and then gotten abducted? Letitia said that the truth was that the blood in the corner of Gannon's room was a combination of hers and Gannon's. In this explanation, which I hate even reading, she stated that an abductor anally penetrated both her and Gannon with an object. Letitia also said she was tied up at some point during the abduction, and the abductor was still present during the officer's walkthrough. The next day, February 16th, Letitia told a friend that she'd been telling Al false stories because she knew he wouldn't believe anything she told him. The fact that she made up rape is a level beyond absolutely disgusting. The day after that, Letitia told a friend that she was thinking about flying to Colorado to take a lie detector test so she could prove her innocence. She also told her friend that investigators thought she was still in Colorado because she's the actual dumbest. On February 18th, Letitia took a test on fakepolygraph.com. This website allows people to choose their own questions and results. Then the website sends a fake polygraph test certification saying the person passed. The fact that there's a whole group of people who not only search for shit like this, but think they're being clever about it, blows my mind. But according to an arrest affidavit, Letitia filled out the question and answer section with three questions regarding Gannon's disappearance. The questions being, Did you participate in any way in causing harm to your stepson? Answer, No. Did your stepson return with you to your home? Answer, yes. Did you participate in any way in causing the death of your stepson? Answer, no. After filling out the questions and answers, Letitia paid for the test with actual money. She never received the results, so she called the company to see why and was informed that management had blocked the certification because she had asked questions related to illegal activities. Even the fake polygraph people have boundaries. Back in Colorado, investigators were preparing an arrest warrant for Letitia. They still didn't know where Gannon's body was, but they were convinced he was dead and that Letitia was the one who killed him. The arrest warrant was for one count of first-degree murder of a child under 12 years old, one count of child abuse resulting in death, one count of tampering with a body, and one count of tampering with physical evidence. On March 2nd, Letitia was arrested in Horry County, South Carolina. Investigators tried to speak with 17-year-old Holly, but she refused to answer questions. Letitia was later extradited to Colorado. During the transportation, she tried to escape custody and officers had to physically struggle to get her under control. Once she was in Colorado, Letitia tried to solicit people inside and outside of jail to help her escape. On March 5th, Al filed for divorce. Almost two weeks later, on March 18th, Bridge inspectors from the Department of Transportation were working at the Escambia River Bridge near Pensacola, Florida. When they went under the bridge, they came across a suitcase which had clearly been dropped from above. The bridge inspectors opened the suitcase and found Gannon's severely decomposed body. He was lying in the fetal position and had been wrapped in the missing blankets from his bed. They called the police. When investigators went through the suitcase, they found three bullets, which were consistent with the bullets found in the gun in the stalk home. There was also a pillow with two holes in it. The holes likely came from two separate bullets. An autopsy showed that Gannon's death was one of the most horrific I have ever seen. He had a gunshot wound to the lower jaw and 18 sharp force injuries to his chest and back. A projectile was found in the back of Gannon's head and he had a fractured skull, which could have come from the suitcase being dropped off the bridge. He also had defensive wounds and cuts to his arms and hands. Gannon's official cause of death was a gunshot wound with blood force trauma to the head. Investigators worked backwards to try and figure out when exactly Gannon's body had been left under that bridge. They found out that just after midnight on February 4th, Letitia and Holly stopped in Pensacola and stayed at a hotel that was about three miles from the bridge. They theorized that at some point Letitia took the suitcase with Gannon's body to the bridge and threw it off of the side. Following their stay in Florida, she and Holly went to South Carolina, where they remained until Letitia's arrest. On March 20th, more charges were brought against Letitia. She now faced two counts of first-degree murder, one for regular murder and the other for murdering a child under 12. One count of child abuse resulting in death, one count of tampering with a body, and one count of tampering with physical evidence. On top of that, there were eight enhancements for a crime of violence. And I feel like violence is an understatement at this point. Letitia pled not guilty to all charges, claiming that she was completely innocent. Her defense quickly raised the issue of Letitia's competency, so an evaluation was ordered. After she was found competent, Letitia challenged the findings and another evaluation was ordered. Again, she was found competent. For the next two years, Letitia found various ways to delay her trial. In 2021, Letitia decided she wanted to represent herself, which the judge ultimately agreed to. But a few months later, Letitia realized that she needed an attorney, so she wrote a letter to the judge asking for a public defender. Her request was again granted. In February of 2022, Letitia switched her plea to not guilty by reason of insanity. The change in plea meant that Letitia needed to undergo a mental health evaluation to see if she was indeed insane at the time of the murder. The only way an insanity plea will work is if she can prove that at the time of the murder, she didn't know right from wrong. The fact that she went to the links that she did to throw off the investigation alludes to the fact that she was well aware that what she was doing was wrong and shits all over her insanity defense. In September of that year, Letitia's mental health evaluation was complete. She was found to be sane at the time of the murder. The defense then challenged the findings and requested a new evaluation be conducted by an out-of-state psychiatrist. That request was also granted. Letitia's trial was scheduled for March of 2023. As of this recording, the defense is still waiting on the mental health evaluations report to be completed. Jury selection is scheduled to begin on March 20th with a presentation of evidence starting on April 3rd. The trial is expected to last six weeks. If found guilty, Letitia faces life in prison. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Gannon's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. We go live regularly on TikTok to talk about this episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. So follow me at the Heather Ashley and tap on the bell icon so you'll be notified when we go live. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreoncom crime, Where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It makes my day every single time. And if you have a case that you would like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. We are officially at the end of the episode, and as always, it is time to share a review that made my entire day. This review comes from Ed2108. It says, I listen to many podcasts, but BMTC is hands down my absolute favorite. Heather gets straight to the point, and her storytelling is masterful. Each case is thoroughly researched and told in a way that only Heather could tell it. Her passion for victim advocacy is apparent, and so is her heart. When I first found BMTC, I totally binged until I listened to every single episode. Thank you, Heather, for taking the time to stand up for the victims and tell their stories and for opening your heart to us all. It is a privilege to hear you tell their stories, and I feel honored to be a part of it. Ed 2108, you have no idea how much these reviews mean to me. It is the nicest thing ever, people taking time out of their day to do something nice for me or anyone at all. It's just the best thing ever, and I love you guys. I can't thank you enough, and I will talk to you next week.